Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. I'm John Bod the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us today, author, editor, longtime Washington wise man and political and campaign observer, best-selling author, and the writer of the wide world of news, seven-day-a-week newsletter, Mark Halperin. Hi, Mark. Hi, John. Thank you for that. I don't live in Washington. I haven't in 20 years, but except for you that. You haven't, but but that's what you're known for. You haven't lived in Washington for 20 years, but you're but you're you're you are as an let's put it this as an call you an analyst of American politics, which can be done for could you you could be from um Emporia, Kansas, like uh William that's why he gets White. so much right about Washington like, because he's not I, in the swamp. I say <laughs> I, I live I live on the upper west side, so I can be more in touch with the real lives of real people. Yeah, my life. So you can be yeah. more in touch with my life uh, here on the Upper West Side. And uh, yes. Um, and uh, by the way, it's really exciting to live here now because not only can there be seven burglaries in six hours in our neighborhood, as was the case on Saturday night, but every block now has a vaping store. So it's really, if you it used to be that there was a bookstore in every block and a record store. Now there's a vaping store in every block. So it's really, it's a neighborhood of great, emotional and just uh soul soul filling capacity anyway mark um this morning uh turning as i as i always do uh when i get up first thing in the morning to your newsletter um i was struck by uh something i mentioned the last time you were on i think which is that um your newsletter is called trump 24 is a thing and you say today's newsletter and you say I'm today focused on Donald Trump again. It is now crystal clear to me that I will have to spend much of 2023 playing the role I assumed in 2015 and 2016. Once again, putting America on notice that Mr. Trump could end up winning the Republican nomination and the presidency. And I wanted to tell everybody this struck me because I you did this for me. You had a show on Bloomberg. Uh, in 2015, I came on the show and maybe November or December or something. And you said to me, what do you think of Trump? And I was like, yeah, you know, he's going to fade. It's, it's probably, it's all, you know, like that. And you were like, I don't know. Like I was at, I just went to one of those rallies and I, the, there's something going on there that I haven't really seen before. And I think people are, you know, people are negating his chances very foolishly. So I was there when you did this at a moment at which almost everybody and and mostly the people who weren't who were saying what you were saying were in the tank for Trump. So they had a kind of argument in interest. You, I guess, in most ways had an argument against interest. You were just doing it as an observer and saying, look, I was there in 2008. I was there in 2000. You know, I've been there. I've been covering every election for the last you know 25 years and there is something very striking going on here and people are ignoring it at their peril so if since you have that bona fides here what is it that you are seeing at this moment that leads you to say i'm feeling a little like it's 2015 all over again 
Well, um, it's a long, it's a long answer that I'll give a shorter <laughs> version to. Um, first of all, the Republican field, including Ron DeSantis, is much weaker than the conventional wisdom has it. Second, Trump has, in some, by some measures, the best campaign team he's ever had. And while candidates matter most, campaign teams matter a lot in presidential politics. And he's got, I think, a better, more professional team than he had in 16 and than he had even as an incumbent president in 20. And I think there's weakness on the Democratic side, whether Joe Biden ends up being the nominee or not. And the media continues to, without any sense of irony or um, or understanding of what they're doing, um, to be Donald Trump's best friend and to take the 47 plus percent of the country who will end up voting for Donald Trump if if that's the choice between Trump and a Democrat um, and just energizing them for all the same reasons that Trump won in, in 15 and 16. So I, I, I'm not predicting he'll be the nominee. I'm not predicting he'll be elected president, but I think he's the second most, I think he's the most likely Republican nominee. And I think he's the second most likely person elected to be president. And he is after Bill Clinton, this is the second best presidential candidate I've ever covered. See, so, this is this was why reasons, I, I feel like we should better, have had better you than up. Obama. Would you say you would say he's better than Obama? I would. The can Obama explain, people don't like you, when I say that. Yeah, can you explain what it is about him that connects him to Clinton? And then, or you know, what one of the things um, they have in common is, of course, that neither of them that that Clinton didn't win a majority of the vote. In, right. in his in his winning first election either, yeah. uh, though for different sort of reasons. But yeah, oh, look, Obama and Bush forty three are both great candidates too. Trump run, ran and won without a campaign the first time. He had Corey Lewandowski and Hope Hicks and 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 himself. And he, like Bill Clinton, has a fingertip feel for how to win within your own party and then win in a general election. Uh, that I think surpasses Obama's. He understands politics and he understands the mood of the country and he understands what the traffic will bear in a way that I think is, I mean, he was a, he was, Barack Obama was the editor of the Harvard Law Review, a United States Senator, and widely touted as a president, future president for, since he was in law school. Uh, Donald Trump hosted a reality show and had owned an ice skating rink. And, <laughs> He got elected president. So I, I I watched his performance, but I also just take like face value what he did. And that was through his own beast like abilities, get elected. And while he's certainly not what he was before, he's older. He's got more scar tissue. He's also deeply experienced in how to run for president. And and I will say this is sort of the when you invited me on, I said, I better bring something new to the argument that's not in the <laughs> newsletter. I think if you look at how he got elected in 2016, it was actually more traditional than people give it credit for being. Uh, the, the reasons he won were more traditional. He certainly, there were a lot of untraditional things too. But I think that that um, that, that that those skills will serve him well in, as he tries to win the nomination and then tries to win the general if he's successful in winning the nomination. And I'm not sure anybody else who's going to run, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Chris Christie, I'm not sure anyone else is going to run will be his close to his equal in competing both untraditionally and traditionally. So can I ask a question here? Because I think I think you're right. I, I feel like we should have had you on tomorrow, which is Groundhog Day, because that would have been more appropriate for the sort of conversation <laughs> we're having. But what explains the passivity of Republican leadership? 
in this scenario versus we've been through 2016. Uh, many of them say sort of, you know, you you link to the McKay Coppins piece in, in The Atlantic, which talks about just how they're all hoping external forces take him out, whether it's, on you know, age, which is a little ghoulish, you know, like that he dies, that he's, you know, indicted for something serious, that something happens to take him off the stage so that they don't have to do it. So what explains that passivity, knowing what yeah. they know? Three things. One is the assumption that that he just won't be able to win again. Two is Trump is incredibly popular with Republicans. And again, the press doesn't want to report that. But but in 2022, when Trump was widely considered to be a failure because a lot of his candidates lost the general election, pretty much the only thing that determined who won a Republican primary was if they got Trump's endorsement or not. And so it's the same reason why very few people abandoned him in 2016 after the Access Hollywood tape, which is their voters, their small dollar donors, the people who come up to them at the supermarket, the Piggly Wiggly, uh, they love Trump. Uh, they don't love him as much as they did before and in as great numbers as before, but he's still overwhelmingly popular. And then finally, there's no consensus plan about who the nominee should be if it's not Trump. Certainly, DeSantis has the most support, but not everybody sold on Ron DeSantis. And I think, I think although he's had as big a rocket ride, maybe bigger than Obama had in 2006, seven, 2006 and seven, uh, I, I think he's the most overrated stock in this competition. And so people don't want to take on Trump when they don't have a unified plan about how, how that would actually work. So you mentioned uh, down ballot candidates, and that introduces an interesting Trump Obama parallel that's also a, a, a sort of a contradiction and a comparison, at least, because <clears throat> Barack Obama had a preternatural ability to get himself elected, but no one else. The tran he could not there was no transitive property to his popularity. In fact, he presided over the decimation of the Democratic Party in his eight years. Uh, I don't think Democrats recognize that. I don't think they would acknowledge it today as being uh, a, a valid analysis. But the opposite is true of Donald Trump insofar. He, he also doesn't have a transitive property. He can't get his candidates elected. Indeed, their Trumpy affectation seems to turn off more voters than it turns on. But the party is aware of it. The party knows his toxic, the toxic effect that he has on the down ballot and on them. And that's part of what's driving them to acknowledge at least that it is a problem, even though they don't know how to make it go away themselves and hope somebody else just kind of does it. Or uh, according to Rob Portman, that maybe he decides that he'll be a, a Republican senior statesman. Someday he'll have that epiphany. Um, but they know that he's an obstacle. They know that he's an impediment to their political success, unlike Obama. And at least the incentives are there to pull something off. At some point, they have to acknowledge that they're heading into a brick wall. Parties don't commit suicide, do they? Well, there would need to be someone who would argue what Rob Portman would argue, who was either the Republican chair or the speaker or the minority leader or a strong presidential candidate that says, we're a conservative party. We're not a Trump party. And here's what we stand for. And here's why we need to go in a different direction. I don't see that person. So in the absence of that person, you know, George W. Bush, it, it, there's no perfect metaphors in politics, but George W. Bush did a version of that when he ran for president in 2000 and took on the Gingrich wing of the Republican Party in saying we're not going to balance the budget on the backs of the poor and some other symbolic things that allowed him to win lots of support from people who liked the new Gingrich wing of the Republican Party, but recognized that they shouldn't be committing suicide, which Gingrich to some extent was presiding over. 
You need a human I, being to do it, and I don't see who the human being is. Yeah, well, I don't, okay. I, I, just, I don't really see it as a passivity at all on the on the Republicans' part. I think it's it's more um, paralysis, um, uh, given agree. what Mark Mark describes, and it's born of they're simply not knowing what to do. And it's also why so many Republicans have gotten out of the game entirely. Including Rob Portman. So it's yeah. funny that Rob yeah. Portman, referring to a quote that Rob Portman gave to McKay Coppins in The Atlantic, saying, Trump may want to transit into being, yeah, like sort of a grand old man or, a, you know, why wise. And then he's like, maybe I'm kidding myself. And it's bizarre that he would be the one to say this since he retired from politics in 2022, retired, did not run again. And J.D. Vance won his seat one presumes in part because he was worried that he would be primaried and lose to a Trumpier candidate. Cause I believe did, did he vote? He voted for um, removal, right? He, he voted to convict Trump in the Senate after, after the uh, January 6th thing. And he paid for it with a, with a, um, uh, you know, uh, preemptive retirement. Yep. So why he would I, think I, that Trump yeah. is suddenly weak is a very it's a strange that he would go there because he's going people, he's going but... for hope. I, I'll say in terms of passivity at versus versus paralysis, Ron DeSantis is another, I think, counterintuitive thing that I haven't written about yet, but I, I will. Ron DeSantis is in some ways Trump's best friend. He's keeping any other Republican from gaining donors or traction in, in earned media. Number one. Number two. All these other would-be Republican candidates are going to first attack Ron DeSantis. That's where they're spending their time. So they're not going to attack Trump in the first instance. They're going to go after DeSantis. So that keeps Trump from being attacked. And then DeSantis is demonstrating a kind of kind of test running some themes for Trump, which you saw in his appearances over the weekend. He's stealing liberally from DeSantis's stuff. So if I'm right that DeSantis proves to be a weaker candidate than than on the national stage, and he's been in Florida. Then DeSantis could be Trump's best friend to getting the nomination. So another Florida governor helps get Trump elected, is what you're saying, or former Ana whatever. Another Florida governor, who, Tallahassee yeah. uh, Kingpin, yeah. yeah, who by the way is very close to Jeb Bush. Something I'm certain Trump's going to start talking about pretty soon. Right. Well, okay. So I want to. So I've been saying here uh, when we brought this up that you know there's no way around. Trump will have to be beaten. First of all, he's the first candidate in the race and he leads in the polls. So he will have to be beaten. It's not, I don't mean beaten physically. I mean, beaten, he will have to be defeated. Uh, and defeats don't happen um, organically. <laughs> they are the result of, you know, this is where we start using the, these, the vocabulary of war in relation to politics, which is often like often incredibly vulgar and wrong, but that's why it's called a campaign. A campaign is a military action. It's yeah. not a, it's, you know, we, 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 that term was adapted because the idea is you have people contesting for a zero sum game piece of property and they are going to have to outwit, out fight, out flank, yeah. out yeah. argue, I, whatever. Yeah. Can I switch to a sports metaphor? Please. Have you ever run, John, from the Upper West Side to Coney Island? No. Okay, I have twice, okay? Impressive. So you and I are going to do that race. We're going to run from the Upper West Side to Coney Island. I've done it twice. You've never done it. And I'm going to start six months before you start. <laughs> who do you, you think is going to get to Coney Island first? I mean, DeSantis is giving Trump a six-month head start. And, and he's a very confident guy. 
But that's a big head start to give someone who's done it twice when DeSantis has never done it. And if you look, and I, and I thought about this when I was running yesterday, not all the way to Coney Island. Think about every person who's run for president in both parties since 1992, which is when, or 1988, which is when I started doing this. Think about the ones who entered as touted candidates, not as not as front runners, but touted. How many of them turned out to be as good or better than their press clips? Not very many. Most Bush, of them turned maybe. out to be Bush, maybe. Bush, maybe Obama. Although but, Bush had a bad Bush had a bad opening, like Bush's Bush had 1999. Bad, Bush had some had, yeah, yeah, and 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 he almost you know he lost the New Hampshire primary by 22 points, yeah. and um. Obama even had some bad moments. Uh, yeah. You know, Obama had some weak moments in his first campaign. The chances that DeSantis is as good as his supporters think he's going to be, I don't think are very high for not just based on history, but based on his personality. So I I, I just think. But just again, as a practical matter, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. Just as a practical okay. matter, somebody gets into this race, they're attacking the front runner. Look, I understand that there's this aversion to uh, getting on the wrong side of his very vocal supporters, especially their online contingent. And I understand the desire to see him just extirpated from the political scene by exogenous forces or maybe his own epiphany, like we said. But somebody's going to have to prosecute the case against him because he's the former president. He's the head nope. of the party. I can't imagine nope. they they just sort of go through this, go through the motions like no. late 15, early 16. No, no question. But on this Groundhog Day Eve, I will say, if you talk to the strategists around the people who are thinking of running, it's very similar to last time, which is I'm going to take out the guy who's who's going to be who stands in my way of being the alternative to Trump because Trump's going to take care of himself. When I get Trump one on one, I can beat him. Their opposition research efforts, their framing of their own rhetoric is geared towards taking out DeSantis. Because they think DeSantis has a glass jaw, and they think that the people who who think they like DeSantis are not nearly as wedded to DeSantis as they are as the people who are wedded to Trump. But we have seen counterexamples. We have seen counterexamples in the form of Chris Sununu, who trained his fire on Trump. Uh, Chris Christie, who trained his fire on Trump, both of whom probably don't have a lot of national stature and are being ignored, but who aren't ignoring the elephant in the room. Well, both of whom have also trained their fire on DeSantis. Uh, I'm not saying yeah. they're going to ignore Trump completely, but they both swiped DeSantis pretty hard too. both those well, guys. Well, look, <clears throat> going back to 2015 again, and you're talking about strategists and this bizarre fact that people let Trump alone. There was also the phenomenon. My old friend, Mike Murphy uh, and I are, you know, had a, had a falling out for a couple of months because he was running <clears throat> Jeb Bush's super PAC and in, I don't know, November, December, January, the main target of Jeb Bush's <clears throat> super PAC was Marco Rubio. Yep. So it wasn't even that people were attacking Jeb as the putative front runner against Trump, which they were. Though Rubio, to be fair, was not really. It was this idea that there was a way to cobble together a non-Trump coalition, and then you would kind of leave Trump over here in the corner with his you know, red hot bunch of people, but you could get all these other people to gather around you and you could you could stitch every the everybody but Trump together. And the temptation for that is clearly never ending. I just want to make a point about what Noah you said about the Republicans saying, you know, they need to they'll need to look at this and they're not going to commit suicide. Most elected Republican politicians in the country 
are not at risk from Trump personally at risk from Trump being the nominee in this sense. They're in districts, particularly in the House, that are that are Republican, that are rock-ribbed Republican now. They're Trump plus 10, Trump plus 20. Their, their only downside is going against Trump, maybe collectively, or maybe there is a there is a sort of um, you know, an, an er Republican who should go and destroy Trump for the good of everybody. But hundreds of American politicians in the Republican Party have exactly the opposite interest unless somebody breaks Trump's glass, shows that Trump has a glass jaw and breaks Trump. And that's where, okay. Totally agree. Let me give you an example from the weekend that I think illustrates how the press is playing into Trump's hands again by understating his strength. He goes to South Carolina and he gets the endorsement of the sitting governor and the state senior senator at the time when the state's previous governor and junior senator are both strongly thinking about running for president and have told all the politicians in South Carolina, I might run for president. That to me is an extraordinary show of support. The fact that he didn't get like a lot of state legislators, whatever. And yet it's all covered as, well, Trump's embarrassed because people won't show up. In a state like South Carolina, which is an establishment state, getting the governor and the senior senator, it's a big, big deal. He's weakened. He's not the incumbent. He's not doesn't have the unfettered momentum he had in 16, 15 and 16. But 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 he's got four senators who've already endorsed him. He's got a bunch of House members for the reasons John suggested. And, you know, we'll see if there's a, if their favorite sons in South Carolina and New Hampshire, which there may be, then Trump doesn't have to win those states by the rules of how this goes. Uh Let's see if somebody can beat him in those four states. Last time he won, he lo- narrowly lost Iowa, and then he won the next three, and he was effectively the nominee. I, 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 and he's got no job, unlike the, most of the other, a lot of the other people are thinking of running. He's going to go to those early states with his plane. I mean, again, he may not be the nominee, but 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 if you just look at the fundamentals here, got a pretty good chance. Well, the, what do we make of the early poll? Uh, very early, but what do you make of the early polling? We haven't seen anything out of Iowa, but we've seen polls in South Carolina and New Hampshire of the uh, what we assume to be the the Republican field. Yeah, where Ron DeSantis pretty has a pretty comfortable lead over Donald yeah. Trump. I mean, early days. Leads like leads like that can evaporate. You know, Trump's just starting. DeSantis is right now a figment of you know how he looks with Sean Hannity. He's he's got to prove that he can run somewhat traditionally. When I said before about the how Trump ran somewhat traditionally in 16, Trump competed in those first four states, not in a normal way, but, you know, he competed. He went to the Iowa State Fair. He went on the ground in those states. Let's see if DeSantis poll numbers stay once people get to know him. Maybe they will. But it's not like, you know, Hillary had a big lead over Obama. It's not a perfect metaphor, but I mean. It, you know, even anything of anything under a 30 point lead just, I think, is evaporatable. And Trump is a beast. He's not going to sit back and lose these states without an effort. What about a third party, the third party wild card? If he doesn't get the nomination, how likely do you think it would be that he would run as a I mean, he can't zero zero because zero. he needs ballot access. He needs the I, ballot access. Right. So yeah. that's ballot ballot access is, is really expensive and really time consuming. And um, one of the sleeper issues of this year is the RNC is probably going to demand that anyone who enter a debate commit to supporting the Republican nominee, which is mm-hmm. a, a, a toughie for Trump, but it's a toughie for the others as well. Now, of course, Trump could agree to that and then change his mind. But again, 
He's not going to know until, you know, February or March, whether he's the nominee or not. From a standing start in March, getting ballot access in 50 states, it's right. very hard. It's very hard. So I just think that's a that's a made up thing. Now, he might not embrace the Republican nominee. He might say bad things about them and that could hurt them. Right. But in terms of actually being on the ballot as a third candidate, the I Georgia Senate, the Georgia special Senate race problem where they just stay yeah. home. Right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I think that this is an excellent, um, very powerful argument for how Trump could be uh, the Republican nominee. When it comes to the general election, though, what about the counter argument that is simply he's just too toxic there? there there's there's just no way beyond the 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 dynamics that that, that we've laid out here uh, um, on the right. Um, there's no way he can he can he can actually win a general election. I mean, if I, I mean, can what... if I can if I can just add on to that also, you said like 47 percent of you know the country will vote for him. In fact, 40% has never voted for him. He got 45 in 2016. He got 46 in 2020. Um, and so he hasn't even gotten to the Romney. I mean, he got got way more votes yeah. than Romney, but he hasn't actually gotten to the even the Romney percentage. Yeah. Romney did better against Obama in 2012 than Trump did against Biden. Right. So I'll take off my responses okay. to that. Yeah. One is, and again, just because some of your listeners may not be familiar with my posture here, I'm not rooting for Trump or predicting this. I'm just trying to give you my analysis of covering, having covered some of this and, and covered Trump. First of all, the head-to-head polls with Biden, the most likely Democratic nominee, although in the end, I don't think he will be. Trump is ahead or even or a little bit behind, but it's not like he's he's 10 points behind Biden. And in the last couple, he's been ahead. And sometimes he's ahead by four or five. Um, there's if by if Trump's a nominee, right? There's binary. It's either he's running against Biden or he's running against someone else. I think the someone else, if it is someone else, could well be Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, or Elizabeth Warren. You tell me Trump can't beat any of those three. I I just don't believe that. I think he I think he'd probably be the favorite against those three. Against Pete Buttigieg, not sure. I'm not sure that Pete Buttigieg could beat Trump. Really not. So I think the people who are most likely now. If it's the governor of Pennsylvania, who I think would run and, and may well be the nominee, if it's Shapiro against Trump, I think Shapiro would probably win. But but more than half of the non-Biden candidates who I think are are likely to be the nominee, if it's not Biden, I think Trump would win. OK, so, I want to go to that. I want to go to that. And then I want to go there. But before yeah. I do that, I want to talk to people about our friends at the Tikva Fund. This is the last day to enroll in Tikva's summer scholars program and you should really take them up on it if you know a 10th 11th or 12th grader with a passion for ideas who is interested in a life-changing summer of learning conversation leadership and debate uh these programs there are two of them in the summer of 2023 one go runs from june 26th to july 6th the second from july 31st august 10th it's this is the 12th year of the tech for scholars program High schoolers from all over the U.S. and and all over the world come together on the campus of Mount Holyoke College uh, in a vibrant community of exceptional students, immersing themselves in study and debate of Jewish thought, philosophy, politics, and the greatest texts in the Western and Jewish canon. Your team will form lasting friendships and a close community. They'll stay in the dorms at Mount Holyoke, get a taste of what it's like to live on a college campus. And teachers include leading professors, scholars, and journalists live with the students and develop special relationships 
not only through the seminars, but during meals and other fun activities outside the classroom. The seminars tackle, tackle topics from economics and ethics to liberal education and American democracy to the founding of modern science and Jewish and Greek thought, much more. Visit tikvasummer.org. That's T I K V A H summer.org to learn more and apply today before the deadline at midnight tonight, January 31st. Use promo code commentary to get $200 off tuition. Again, that's tikva, T I K V A H, summer.org. Okay, so you do some fun stuff in today's newsletter uh, that we are talking about here, Mark Halperin. You uh you go to uh this piece in the washington post uh that raises questions about the kamala harris kamala harris's political standing and her potential political future and you say quote it lists many reasons for concern among her supporters but without any apparent irony or intention leaves out the top three actual reasons and then guess who else leaves out the top three actual reasons you do so clearly, I, I don't want to like blow your surprise or anything, but maybe you could tell us what the top three political reasons are for Kamala Harris's weakness it's, and uh, it, it's a com- it's a commentary podcast exclusive. <laughs> there we you'll go. Only, you'll only see and hear it here. You just know that I read down to the bottom. This is a very it's important impressive. thing. Impressive. Yeah. Um, number one, that she would lose a general election to Donald Trump. Number two, that she is simply by her um her functioning as a as a principal as a vice president of the united states she is not in their view able to manage the flow of information and performance and principle in the way that they believe would be required and i'm talking about people around joe biden to be either a strong presidential candidate or a strong president and finally that she is um uh not uh able to do the right thing if she thinks the political thing is tempting and that's not my position that's the position of people around joe biden who feel the way of people around john mccain felt when they thought about sarah palin being vice president i'm not comparing the two of them except to say the people around the top of the ticket feel a lot of remorse and guilt for having empowered someone who they about whom they think the three things I said, and none of those things were reflected in the Washington Post story. I have no doubt that there's misogyny and that women are held to a different standard in public life. Zero doubt. And I have zero doubt that those things play a role in the concerns that some of our supporters and detractors have. But the three things I said from my reporting are the reality of why there's so much concern about the prospect of her someday being the presidential nominee. I mean, I think the minute you play the card, as that piece does, of saying her problem is misogyny, you are essentially saying that she can't win. Because if the problem is something deep-seated and structural in the American psyche uh, with voters, then she also shouldn't and can't be the nominee because it would be politically foolish to put her in a position in a country that could not possibly select no. her because of its pathology that's that's the weird part of that argument it's like a rube goldberg argument no no i think they're making a different they're making that argument for a different reason though and it's the same reason they made it with hillary it's a it's a way to inoculate uh the candidate against 
absolutely legitimate criticisms of their terrible performance as a retail politician. Hillary was bad at a lot of that job, even though she was, you know, she had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, encouragement from the media. She still she didn't go to certain states. She talked about deplorable. You know, she had all these ticks that revealed her elitism. It revealed her lack of concern for half of the country's uh, issues and the things that were on their mind. Kamala has similar weaknesses in terms of her ability as a retail politician, but she's just terrible at this job. And she's she's evidently a horror to her staff. She doesn't take the briefing. She thinks she knows what she should do. But then when she gets thrown out in front of everyone and flails, she blames everyone else around her. She has not improved on the job, which is something I could actually admire her for. It's an impossible job. Um, she has just blundered over and over again and failed to take responsibility and and actually not tried to carve her own path in that role. She, there were some opportunities there for her that she could have taken she hasn't done that. I mean, if you have to hire hire child actors to make yourself look more human, you're you're just way behind the eight ball. That was much better than the Washington Post story. That answer, much <laughs> um, better. Now, you said earlier that you don't think that Joe Biden will actually be the Democratic nominee for president, and um, so if we take that, um, we could explore it, or we could just let it. You know, since we don't really know, and I'm I I I have deep sympathy for that position and maybe I'm being unimaginative and thinking that uh, he will be because I can't see the world in which he isn't. But um, is there a world in which if this is how the Biden people feel <clears throat> that they will do the thing that comes up every time a vice president is problematic when we have these conversations about problematic vice presidents like Quayle in 92 and like, and, uh, and say, um, he better get rid of her. Like he better, he, maybe he needs to switch things up in 2024 in part because there really is a realistic possibility. <laughs> he becomes president in 2025 that that person will be president by the time 2029 rolls around. Um, it Will that happen? Or, I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine the consequences unless he replaces her with somebody exactly, the, you know, who has every same qualification that she has by which i mean that she, it's a black woman um but isn't her yeah uh, you know it, it would i think it would be susan rice uh the domestic policy advisor look my belief that he won't be the nominee is zero based on reporting because all my sources say he's running it's 100 percent based on gut but i feel pretty strongly about it in my gut he can't get rid of her it's impossible unless she wants to be rid of and my reporting is she does not want to be rid of to the contrary so if he runs that's the ticket i think if he doesn't run there is an escape route which is they say they need to they need to continue to govern the country in this perilous time and other people you know he's she's such an important partner that she can't afford to run for president and i think that might be her posture uh, I think people I, th I know people would argue that to her if she assumed the presidency in the next two years. Well, it's an interesting point, because then but, she will have been. She will ha she will be the historic legendary figure. Yeah. Of being the first woman and the first. And the same plot from the, V. Yeah. I mean, this is the right. And the same <laughs> exactly plot from V. And <laughs> she will she'll get what she wants in the history books. And really, does she want to be president? I don't even know. Like she, she does, does not she, conduct. Okay, she, she does. does. Fair. And her but husband I mean, saying, wants, and her husband yeah. wants her to be president too. Uh -huh. And they're okay. very, I mean, they're very the, protective of her place in all this. Aren't okay. the same conditions that render them unable to get rid, as you say, of uh, of Kamala Harris? The same reasons why they can't get rid of Joe Biden. 
I mean, absent an abdication, a lot of people's careers depend on him not going anywhere. She has to be the one to get rid of Joe Biden. I mean, fundamentally, if he wants to run, the only way that he is denied the nomination is if there is an internal, if people inside say, I, well, your Mark is shaking his head on the Zoom because he's right, has to say he is not able to perform the duties of the presidency. He everyone cannot are, run again. Everyone around him is they're not just financially committed. Most everyone around him is longtime, very personally loyal people. Being a one-term president is different than being a two-term president. The party doesn't have anyone else who they can be confident would beat Trump. They figured out how to protect him from himself most of the time, except when he talks to dead people. And and <laughs> the minute he says he's not running, his presidency's over. Yeah. So he's he's lurching, to paraphrase the late great John McLaughlin, he's lurching uncontrollably into the into the into the necessity of running for another term. But you're saying you're are you saying that he will not be president in 2025 or that he will not be the nominee in 2025? My gut, my gut says he will not be the nominee. My gut says so he's lurching uncontrolled. So does that mean in your gut scenario that like I'm saying about Trump, he has to be defeated by somebody else or will he step aside i mean in in your gut since we're just now just in a utter speculation here i think a combination combination of of health family health mortality hunter recession uh some combination of those or not documents um my gut on the documents is if it's documents, it's Hunter related. Right. Okay. Um, so that's, well, that's a larger, theory, that's part yeah. of, that's a subset yeah. of something larger than it's a the, subset of revelation Hunter, but... of a, of a family corruption problem. And cause right. if it's Hunter, then it's also his brother. So like it start, you start getting into something that really is new in a weird way. If that, if that were to go in that direction, that he really would be very hard pressed to, to keep keep his hands clean of i don't need a single episode of tucker or a single house republican hearing to feel confident that joe biden has allowed his closest relatives to trade on his public service to make a lot of money that they were unqualified to make or to say that he has lost more than two steps from before i don't need i don't need any more data for those two things and but he can still run with those two things being true unless he can't but by the way, if it if there is a document issue related to Hunter or family, boy, is that another help for Trump? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Biden's, even begin. Biden's that's why Trump's well, Biden's approval ratings this yeah. past week or so have fallen a little bit because the attention has been back on him in the documents and away from right. Trump. I mean, he that that does impact him negatively and Trump so, obviously positively. So we're now talking radically about personality here. Like we're talking about can Trump, wait, he's a beast, he'll do this and all that. And then there's Biden and he's got all these problems. And then there's the larger, there's maybe a larger question, which is, is there any substantive argument that is going to go on here about where the nation should be at the end of 2028 Mm -hmm. because DeSantis can prosecute that or some other Republican can prosecute that and say you know we're talking about you need to talk about the future we need by the time my presidency is over to have 
push China out of the catbird seat to do this, to re reinvigorate manufacturing, to end the fentanyl epidemic. I mean, I don't know what the policy panoply is. And as I keep saying about DeSantis, the real virtue that DeSantis has that is uh, that is un inescapable is that he's 44 years old and Trump is 76. And, you know, this whole notion of there's this gerontocracy running our lives and they're the baby boomers and they've been driving this country, you know, into a ditch and we got to get rid of them already and move on because they don't understand what life is like anymore. And they, they, you know, they can't, they can't, you know, they need, they need us it's tough to make that argument in a Republican when primary. Computer, yeah, what? When the Republican primary base is old. Yeah. Well, they're not that old. To be, they're not that old. They're not the Fox News audience, which is that audience, right? It's seventy-one, seventy-two years old. Republican primary is Republican primary are are older than Democrats, but I mean they're still around the median age of the country, which is I think 44, 45. It's not like they're they're um you know. They're all, they're all, old, they're all living I'm saying in the that you have to finesse it. It's a certain kind of boomer that isn't you, Fox News watcher. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's five big issues and then a colossal issue. And the problem with the five issues is the parties are not uh, uniform in their thinking. And in fact, there's a populist wing of both parties that share a point of view as opposed to being party versus party. China tech regulation, the Ukraine war, immigration, and the war on drugs. Those are, I think, every poll I look at suggests those are big issues that voters care a lot about. But I don't think that's a Republican versus Democratic war in most cases. Immigration is slightly different, but but in the end, it's not because, because it's popular to do things, not just control the border. The big issue to me is who has a theory of the case to transition to a post-COVID economy? And what's the role of government in that? That to me is the biggest issue, and that's an issue where there are, there are really big differences between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And 2023 will be about that fight between Biden and McCarthy, but some Republican presidential candidate, again, assuming it is Biden, is going to have to take up that fight and say, here's a better theory of the case about where the economy needs to go as we leave COVID and as we think about what the role of government is and how much spending the government should do to support people as they grapple with the vagaries of the marketplace. Well, and also there's a great contrast to be made. If you look at like Joe Biden was on, they were posting on social media, him driving around an electric Humvee, you know, saying, oh, you'll get a you'll get a big tax break if you from my administration, if you buy an electric vehicle, he's driving something that's less efficient than a normal gas powered car that is that costs as much as the average American makes in a year. Like that philosophy of how the economy should work, rewarding certain kind of uh, politically motivated causes about the environment or social policy, you know, social welfare policy. That's going to be the Democrats' message on the economy. There is a huge opening for a Republican, especially a moderate, more, more moderate Republican on the economy, to talk about who that leaves out, who is not getting helped by the Hummer EV tax credit. Totally agree. Totally agree. I also want to ask about personnel stuff because, um, so as I said, Mark's uh, Wide World of News newsletter, seven days a week. He he uh, he got he's got to mix it up in order to keep himself uh, entertained. And one of his uh, traditional gambits is to write a um, an imaginative memo in the voice of uh, of of aides uh, to people. 
And uh, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, now outgoing White House chief of staff, or gone, I don't, I don't know if he's still there, um, was one of the key authors, uh, quote unquote, of, of these memos you would write. And it was clear in in these memos that you had a, um, I would say, a higher opinion of Klain's abilities I would then a lot of people in Washington were professing until November when Biden did when the Democrats did a lot better in the midterms than anybody expected so Klain is Biden's alter ego as a staffer and he is now gone though I don't know what that means maybe he's going to run the reelect if there's a real maybe he's not going to run the reelect I, who knows but so he's gone and Jeffrey Zients who was the COVID administrator uh, and like saved the Obamacare website in 2013, 2014. He's in. Um, how much is that? How much does staff matter in your view? Um, the Bush White House, the first Bush White House, which I wrote my first book about, actually in some ways fell off a cliff the minute that John Sununu, the White House chief of staff, the for, for, was was ousted. Though Sununu was already showing that he had weaknesses going into the re-election, but they never got their sea legs. He 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 had bad help from Sam Skinner, who took uh, who took uh, Sununu's place, and then he had to bring in James. But by the time he brought in James Baker as the kind of you know uh, you know late late draftee, like it was all it was probably already all over. Biden's going into the most critical year of this presidency without his you know without his deeply trusted number two how do you feel that's gonna play out well well clay and i my prediction based on a little bit of reporting is it'll be the chairman of the campaign and he'll run debate prep because that's his main specialty is mm -hmm. he's really good at running debate prep for campaigns um zion's a very talented guy very competent guy very um, hard worker, very well liked, like Klain. But the, the job is going to be different. Klain was a chief of staff who did everything. He did congressional relations. He did media relations. He did policy. He did national security. He did personnel. He did it all. And uh, this model is more like what you saw in, in a comparable moment in the Obama uh, presidency, where you had a chief of staff who basically is like the administrator make sure things run well but the politics and the congressional relations and 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 messaging will be done by other people the other people again this is not boosterism this is not a pro democratic position just a fact they're very good and they're very loyal there's four or five six of them depending on how you want to count the inner circle they're not territorial you know compared to most they're they're very loyal to the bidens they're very experienced in government and campaigns and so it won't run the same way. My sources, including some outside folks who are experienced at the, at the highest levels, are cautiously optimistic for Biden that this new model of a more of a bifurcated thing where different people do some of Ron Klain's job and the chief of staff runs the building. Um, they're cautiously optimistic it'll work. And in some ways it will be better because, of course, in the campaign context of the presidential campaign for an incumbent, you're running basically two different operations from the White House. You're running both the government and the campaign. And this allows the bifurcation to be a little bit cleaner. Ron Klain is very talented, worked a lot of hours a day, 
But to run the government and a campaign, which he would have tried to do, is a big challenge for anybody. Um, speaking also of the of, of the larger issue sets as we as we head into this year, based on your deep experience and decades of of watching this, um, there is this general sense, or the conventional wisdom is that there will be a recession at some point. <laughs> in the second half of the year. Now, there are two kinds of recessions, right? There are technical recessions, which don't actually inflict much pain. And as my friend David Bonson says, if you have a recession of the sort that they're talking about, which basically impoverishes Silicon Valley, but doesn't really get at the ordinary American, does the recession matter as a political fact? It's not going to matter that much, though it may have effects on people's retirement portfolios and stuff like that if there's a big stock market correction. But the the job growth isn't going to end, and the, you know, we're not going to have a spiking unemployment. It's going to be a very limited thing, in which case it won't matter. Or the recession will be worse than that. And if it's worse than that, then it this is something people will either feel or they don't feel. If they feel it, then there are political consequences to it. You can't incept their feeling it. And I think that's partially what happened in 2022 is that we had a recession, technically speaking. But in fact, jobs were growing and so were incomes. And so that's a very weird kind of recession where you don't have people, ordinary voters suffering. They suffered from inflation, but they weren't suffering from a decline in industrial output and 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 like that. So, um, but obviously, the last thing you want going into you know elections in February and March is either to be in a recession or to just be emerging very tentatively from a recession. So, how are you feeling yeah. about that? Yeah. So I'm I agree with what I took from the tone and the framing of yours, which is a recession is not as and it's a recession that would be the defining negative issue for the Democrats is not as inevitable as it seemed six months ago. You do see big layoffs in tech and media, but uh, and consumer spending is a little bit questionable. But the international situation is not as bad as it appeared. Very good story in The Washington Post today about that. Um, consumer spending is not falling off a cliff. Uh, and there's money in the pipeline to prime the pump from the federal big major bills that that have passed and infrastructure and chips. Um, and Biden's political team is very strong on understanding how to message on the economy, stronger than the president probably is. Treasury Secretary looks like she's staying. There's going to be a new head of the of the economic team at the White House. We'll see who that person is and how the, and how they message. Uh, I think that that. You know, as I like to say, there's only two people understand how the international economic system work works, and unfortunately, they disagree. So <laughs> there's there's lots of ambiguity here, and I'm not the world's leading expert on it. But from a political point of view, I think it's quite possible, and maybe even probable, on the current trajectory, that there will not be a clear Biden economic failure to run against. Inflation is being tempered. The Fed seems to be on top of it. The consumer spending, housing. Uh, are are not perfect, but there's but there's not there not there's not it's not as necessary it's not inevitable that they'll decline, and the international situation the war could end in Ukraine and China could rebound a little bit there's some signs of that so the Democrats don't assume that there'll be a recession in twenty three or twenty four and they're doing everything they can to avoid it and the Republicans may may have to think about trying to beat Biden 
without having to be able to without the capacity to run against a Biden recession or against Biden stagflation, which six months ago seemed, again, more probable than not. So this is a fascinating political moment, obviously, and we get back to the point that uh, we be which we started with, which is that um, standing there in this unprecedented circumstance is, except for Grover Cleveland, is Donald Trump, uh, who, uh, if you were being thuddingly unimaginative, uh, just looking at the order of balance of forces you would say he's the most you even said i don't mean to call you thuddingly unimaginative but polls and fame and what we know about him and all that says he will be the republican nominee unless and the big question and 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 will not and nothing's going to come along to help the people who don't want him to be the nominee biden uh, unless you know again unless but i mean it's not like the, the economy may not help the uh you know political balance of forces may not help odds are that republicans are going to look worse this year than democrats will when the when the uh debt when the debt cliff comes and all that so somebody is going to have to change this rematch of 2020 something people some people are going to have to take actions that will ensure that this rematch of 2020 doesn't take place even if biden's not the nominee you will then simply have trump versus a democrat and uh and again if it's warren or or sanders obviously as you point out is there a person alive who doesn't think that uh, trump even at half speed could beat sanders or warren of, of, of course he could i mean uh that goes that almost goes without saying if that's where the Democratic Party ends up. So, yeah. but I think you don't think that that's again this unless this concerted effort to say Trump can here's why I need to be it's not even that Trump can't be the nominee. I I should be the Republican nominee and the next president of the United States more than him not just because he's bad but because i will be good like somebody's got to be able to say that and say we're just going to be back in the same loop with him can't get congress to do things uh can't get democrat democrats hate him and he doesn't even build the wall that he said he was going to build and he didn't you know he screwed up on covid mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. gave fauci his power and all of that there's gotta there's, do that. there's two factors that that are at play both in a nomination fight and in the general. One is very inside and one is very outside. And I think they're critical to gaming out Trump's chances to win both the nomination and the general. The inside one is dealing with the traditional media. Trump continues to deal with the traditional media. He did an AP interview over the weekend. DeSantis does not. And no one has been elected president without dealing with the, the traditional media. That's just a fact. And, and, and I think... Trump's capacity to play in traditional space remains super important. And that's something DeSantis has not proven he can do. And the other people who are thinking of running don't do it very well now or very often now either. Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, et cetera. The second, the, the more outside thing is, if you count Trump in 2016, every president we've elected since Bush 41 
has put as central to their campaign that they would bring the country together. Now, Trump is is an exception. He didn't never talk about it, but he didn't put it front and center the way Bush 41 did, uh, the way Clinton did, the way uh, Bush 43 did, the way Obama did, the way Biden did. DeSantis has shown no desire to do that. He did early on in his governorship, but since the pandemic, he's shown no desire to do that. Trump is hard pressed to do that. And that speaks to the aspirations of tens of millions of people who would like the country brought together, many of whom do vote in primaries and caucuses. But it also speaks to electability. I think the biggest question for Trump in going against DeSantis, and it will somewhat key off the polling, but it will also key off their messaging is, can Trump make the case that he'll win a general election? The out party in a presidential year, that's so important to the voters. We need to win the White House back. There's Before- lots of data that suggests Trump can't, and he needs to overcome that. Before we go, we haven't asked you about some of the the contours of what might be the very first head on head conflict between DeSantis and and Trump, which is their initial pandemic response. Um, There's been some back and forth over who closed the beaches and when they closed the beaches. And did they do this with Trump's premature or was it something that he he didn't like, but sort of accepted? And, and everybody's trying to engage in revisionist history here. We all remember what happened. Everybody closed everything. And then Ron DeSantis opened things up and the White House was leery about it, was skeptical of it. And, and uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia as well. But that's not how this is going to shake out. Everybody's memories are going to have to re- be retrofitted onto whatever the political narrative is. Who has the upper hand in this one? This is a very important issue for Republican voters. It's not a very important issue for voters generally, but getting the narrative right in retrospect Mm -hmm. on who had the pandemic right from emphasizing freedom and liberty over the mitigation of the virus's effects on public health. Who wins that contest? Well, on the merits, DeSantis would win with Republican voters, but I can't imagine a format, whether it's competing appearances on Hannity or digital video or debate stage. I can't imagine that the merits are going to matter. I think it's going to be just gladiator versus gladiator. Who's got the better capacity to make up a narrative that sticks to the other person and the other person doesn't react well. We know. And as you say, it's a, it's a one-sided fight. I mean, there is no reaction at all from the DeSantis camp. For now. And we'll see how long they can keep that up. This this goes back to my six six month head start running to Coney Island. I mean, Trump's going to continue to hit him whenever the door is open to doing it, and sometimes when the door is not open. And DeSantis so far is being quiet. But at some point, if DeSantis runs, I'm sure they'll have that fight and many others, including you know Jeb Bush's support for for DeSantis. And again, I know what kind of gladiator Trump is. We all do. We've seen it. It's very effective. I don't know. I don't know if DeSantis can play at that level. Maybe but he's he can. also the one the one thing that Trump is also spending these six months, the six month head start doing, though, is like, you know, posting on True Social about Stormy Daniels and things that actually remind will also remind some primary voters mm-hmm. that, oh, my God, this guy has so much baggage. And as you say, he's overcome baggage before he might be able to do it again. But Ron DeSantis can contrast like, well, he's posting on True Social about Stormy Daniels. I'm reforming my state's education system. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So maybe the weight could even though it's a head start in terms of time spent a lot of trump's time is spent dealing with his crazy overreactions to you know personal problems totally agree and i predict ron DeSantis will have some personal problems that he'll have to deal with if he runs they the all president. do don't they <laughs> yeah and yeah. and so you're right you're right if DeSantis manages this perfectly and he'll probably get what he wants out of the legislature that's that could be a good contrast for him but eventually he'll have to compete in a presidential stage in the early states in the debates and 
maybe he'll be great. And what's maybe Trump's he'll be nickname going to be for him? He doesn't have a nickname. He already, he already has that. Sanctimonious. Yeah. Oh, Desanctimonious. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant what's DeSantis's nickname for Trump going to be? Fat Donald. Fat yeah. Donald. <laughs> I like it. No, I think he'll call him old. He'll call him old man. The old um, old man. I mean, <laughs> he's got to run on Trump being old. He's got to run on Trump being old. It's like it's not just it's an elephant in the room. He has like, a lot of old voters in his state, though. So yeah. what? Yeah, there's that, and and I, I don't know. I, Trump doesn't read whatever the facts are. He doesn't read as old as he is. Um, exactly. So so it's not yeah. So especially like the king of the village is old. Is old like when know? I was, you know, but but especially you know, when I when I was when I was born, you were claiming that Viet your Vietnam was trying to pick up girls at Studio Fifty Four. That's when I was born. Yeah, but, but, but what Trump, DeSantis Trump, says I was but, but, born but, while you were trying to avoid STDs in the in the disco era. No, but compared to the example that we have of someone who does read as very old. Um, Who's Biden? Um, Trump really we doesn't seen, read like he's an old seen guy. Pretty, he, I'm sorry. In that announcement speech at, at Mar-a-Lago, he seemed pretty damn old to me. It's a, I mean, it's I know a, he's got it, You don't. It's it's a subjective thing, but Trump is a brilliant television producer, and mm -hmm. he projects to the party that he's this like virile, you know, warrior king. And so I yeah. I agree I agree. That with what Abe said, I just I don't think that that he that Trump is going to be painted and affected unless he has decline between now and and the Iowa caucuses. I just don't think he's going to be painted as some sort of frail person. He just doesn't come across that way to Republican voters. Right. Well, again, a year is a long time. That's where a year is a long time. I mean, you know, yeah. the transition between. 76 and 77 is a long transition where, you know, it's, and you know, you don't know, again, you don't know what's going to happen, but I, but once again, he'll, he'll be the nominee unless he's stopped. You know, that's, I think the point that you're ultimately yeah. trying this, this, this idea that, you know, he will be stopped. So we don't have to worry about him being the nominee all involves the yada, yada, yada effect, which is the yada, yada, yada. He's not the nominee. What matters is that is yada yada yada. There is no there. That's the meat of this year and the future yeah. of the Republican just, Party. Yeah, uh, we must mention Casey DeSantis. She's an incredibly okay. important part of this, and and we'll have to see how she performs because she, because her word, her advice, her shaping of the image Closest and the message advisor, of the narrative yeah. is so important. And she's untested too. But she's a me uh, she comes from a media background though as well, which could help him. I mean, it's yeah. local news, but actually, in some you could arguably say local news reaches ha has more yeah. of the common touch than than you know mainstream. I urge you to go on YouTube and watch some of her local news appearances. They're really instructive to understanding the role she's going to play here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Just well, go, Mark, go on YouTube. As, Mark, as ever, um, very illuminating. You can have this illumination yourself from Mark every day. Twenty. 365 is it 365 days a year did you not take a, a single a day, day off haven't missed a day in over two and a half years that's just amazing anyway that is markhalperin.substack.com where you can subscribe to wide world of news you should pay for it but he doesn't make you because he's just generous that way i guess i like my readers <laughs> Thank you for thank you for hosting me today. Really, really honored to be asked and to come back to to participate. So thank you. 
You bet. And so uh, for Abe, Christina, and Owen, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.